What up, though? This is Knockouts and Three Counts. But before we bring you another episode of Podcast Gold, let me tell you about the homies over at Michigan's Finest. Do you ever find yourself trying to get yourself together and thinking, man, this is going to be a great night, but I'm looking for that little extra something-something? Well, check out our friends at Michigan Finest. If you are into medical marijuana, rec recreational marijuana, concentrates, vapes, anything of that sort, Michigan's Finest has got you covered, and as you can see here, it's all easily done by their website. It's all curbside, and you'll be in and out in two minutes, and they're family-owned and operated, so customer service is their number one goal. And now, since they are rocking with knockouts and three counts, use the code KO3MF. Yes, that's KO3MF. You get 10% off your entire order, but that does exclude featured items, and items that are already on sale. But if you use that code, you're getting 10% off your items. And I promise you, either if you're looking for that big knockout or you're ready to hit the sheets for that three count, Michigan's Finest will get you together. Tell them knockouts and three counts sent you. And I promise you, you're going to be having a great night. Peace. This is the Ring of Honor, a.k.a. Shane T, boy. The baddest champion you've ever seen, boy. This is Mr. This is good old JR Jim Rock, and you are listening. You're listening to Knockouts and Three Counts. Knockouts and Three Counts starts now. What up, though? This is Knockouts and Three Counts. It isn't Tuesday, it isn't Thursday, but we're bringing you a little bonus action today. We've got the man himself, Keith Elliott Greenberg. You know, you've seen him on A&E bi biographies, the WWE rivals through his book, Follow the Buzzards, all kinds of things. we got a lot, of lot to talk about in the pro wrestling world today. Keith, how you doing? We appreciate you joining us. Great. I'm really, I was looking forward to this for a while. That's good to hear, man. J-Bone, how you doing? I know this is one that you were uh, looking forward to yourself, very, man. Very excited, man. Happy Sunday to you guys. Keith, it's a pleasure. I'm ready to talk wrestling, man. This is great. Well, let's start there, man. I mean, talking wrestling, you know, like we mentioned, you know, you've, you're an author. You know, you've done, you're on the w, the shows with WWE for A&E and all these other things. But, I mean, dude, you've been covering wrestling and being a historian of wrestling for so long. Tell me where does your fandom which is what we all are for wrestling at some point or another where does your fandom with wrestling start what was it that hooked you um well i i said i'm always asked that question and the fandom literally started about 10 miles from where i am now in brighton beach brooklyn where my grandparents who were immigrants from the former soviet union were uh were true believers and, you know, I mentioned in my last book, Follow the Buzzards, Pro Wrestling in the Age of COVID-19, uh, the image of my grandmother and her sister freaking out when Bruno was getting ambushed and threatening to call the police. <laughs> By Bruno, I mean Bruno Sammartino for the youngsters watching. And he was uh, a long time champion of the what was then known as the worldwide wrestling federation 
Man, you know, it's funny you bring up Bruno, especially in the time period that we're in with all this stuff with Roman Reigns and him having a long title reign and all that stuff, man. It's crazy to think, man. It, there's no way in modern wrestling we'll ever see a run like what Bruno San Martino no, ever had again. Somebody like Bruno San Martino first won the title in 1963 from Nature Boy Buddy Rogers, held it for eight years or practically eight years. And lost it to Ivan Koloff. Then Koloff immediately dropped the championship to Pedro Morales. And um, I don't think that uh, Vince McMahon Sr. or Vincent James McMahon really felt that Morales was connecting in as many cities as he had hoped. I think he was trying to replace one ethnic champ with another. And in the early 70s, you know, honestly, there still was a lot of racism addressed, uh, directed at Puerto Rican people. And I think there were certain fans that just didn't want to cheer a Puerto Rican champion. I'm, I'm certain of it, um, you know, because I remember what, you know, how, how ugly the mood could be sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, you go to Madison Square Garden, and this is when the majority of the fans believed and it would get very tense there. You know, the Puerto Rican fans were really invested in Pedro. These were not educated people. And when Pedro would be on the verge of losing, they would get pretty agitated. And um, so I believe, and I could be wrong with the dates, I believe that uh, Pedro Morales lost to... Stan the Man Stasiak, and I don't have the date in front of me, but let's say after a two, two and a half year run. And then um, he held that title for at least another three years or so uh, until he lost it in 1977 to superstar Billy Graham. So that's a run with the time. This is like more than a decade of being the champion in two separate reigns. And that would be unthinkable today. I mean, what is it with, you know, speaking of Bruno, you know, I've been, for those of you who have been following along at Knockouts and Three Counts, and we appreciate all of the new subscribers that have been coming in off of the Clarissa Shields press conference. It's going down here in Detroit, June 3rd, and all those good things. But, you know, I've been playing WWE 2K23. A lot of people have been asking me, you know, what our thoughts are on the game because all those good things. But, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> you play the new showcase mode that they put out for Cena, and at the end of it, you got to play a match where it's him versus Stone Cold versus Hogan from the 80s versus San Martino. And, dude, San Martino, that guy, moving that guy, even in, like, a video game is insane. That guy just it was insanely strong. Everything I've watched from, like, the old school stuff, obviously I wasn't around when that happened. But being the wrestling nerd that I am, I've seen plenty of Bruno's stuff at this point. So for you being somebody that's got, and first of all, bravo on the fact that you can remember all that stuff. Because, no. god damn. <laughs> that's, well, I mean, well, of course I remember that because that stuff is from my childhood. See, and that's what I was going to say. That's <laughs> So everybody remembers that early period when they were falling in love, whether it's falling in love with a partner or falling in love with pro wrestling. So, you know, now sometimes some of the more recent storylines are harder for me to follow. But in all honesty, 
we also have to absorb a lot more than we did then. Because back then, pro wrestling TV consisted of squash matches. Mm -hmm. So we knew who went over. We knew, you know, there weren't a wealth of titles. There was in WWF, WWF, you had the champion, you had the tag team champions. I There wasn't an intercontinental champion yet. And then if you happen to catch another promotion, we happen to get a TV from the Olympic Auditorium in Los Angeles in Spanish, which was very helpful for me because I actually... I, I don't say I speak fluent Spanish, but I speak functional Spanish. You know, I can travel around Latin America and communicate with people. And that's because of watching wrestling. So, you know, I would follow that promotion as well, but that was an hour a week. So I was maybe absorbing at the most three separate hours of wrestling every week. And so it was easy to remember. And because not much was happening, um, you know, there, there was, there'd be maybe one hot angle every couple of weeks. So you could retain it. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody's got that for me. Like Stone Cold was the first big one for me. I grew up right in the middle of the Attitude Era. So like that was, I remember that being some of the coolest shit you would see back then. Being it was it be cool. Stone Cold or the, the Monday Night Wars and flipping back and forth between WCW and WWE and all those things. It's but now, fun. I mean, go ahead. All right, sorry, I mean to cut you off, but it's funny that you say that you you mentioned like remembering things like that in your early years because I was just talking with my daughter and she was telling me about something that happened on SmackDown two weeks ago and it completely slipped my mind. But I will never forget how I felt as a young child when I seen like Axe and Smash enter the Royal Rumble at the same time. Like my mind was so blown and just just freaking out. You know what I mean? Like I remember that as a kid. I still remember that feeling. So it's. It's cool that you bring that up. Like, that's what wrestling does. It's kind of right. amazing. You know right. what I mean? And, and now I was working for WWE at the time because I wrote for their magazines for 22 years. And I certainly remember the Royal Rumble with Axe and Smash at the same time. Uh, but it doesn't stand out for me until you brought it up. It's probably something I didn't think about since that day maybe i wrote something about it but you know it didn't remain in the back of my brain however you know it was a cool moment and i can just imagine if i were nine or ten or eleven what that would have meant to me i, I was two <laughs> so well, i'm sitting at grandpa's lap like oh there's there's axe like there's my favorite tag team and then here comes smash and i'm like I'm, a, I'm like, as a child, I'm going to cry now because my tag team is like imploding in front of my eyes. And they came in, they didn't like shake hands or nothing. You know, they were just axe and smash. They beat the hell out of each other for, for two minutes. You know what I mean? So I'm like, yeah, what is happening in my life? Two, which means that, that that may qualify as one of your earliest memories. Yes. Yes. That's like when I think of Royal Rumble, like I know there's so many great Royal Rumble memories, but that one, like, there wasn't a lot with it, right? Like it didn't mean anything. It didn't carry on to a storyline. It was just two badasses beating right. a lot of each other that just were in there to win. And for some reason, when I think Royal Rumble, I think of the purple curtain. I think of the old school Royal Rumble logo. And I think of Axe and Smash entering number one and number two. That's just one of you my know, favorite but, but moments. That harkens back to something else I remember. That was so rare before the Attitude Era to see 
baby faces against baby faces or heels against heels. And I can, can remember going to a live show. I wasn't writing for WWE yet, but I think I was already starting to write articles about wrestling because uh, before I started writing for WWE in 1985, there was a period of about four years where I would pitch articles to different publications and do, you know, periodic wrestling articles for them. And I remember a battle royal, and I think it was the Nassau Coliseum on Long Island, and seeing Mass Superstar and the Magnificent Morocco go after each other, and they were both heels. And I remember like, wow, I'm really glad I came to this live show because you never see villains, you know, go after each other like that. Yeah. So, you know, I, I I was in my 20s at that point. So, so it, it's all what, you know, lives in your heart. And that's how you, uh, that's what you carry with you. Well, yeah. that brings up something I wanted to ask you about, you know, like for us, like, I mean, anyone that follows the show knows, like, I mean, I'm my full-time job is slinging the mail at the post office. J bones working full-time Corey's working full-time, but you know, getting to do this stuff, getting to do stuff like we were talking about before I hit the button doing commentary for lights out and all those things, dude, it's awesome to get to do, especially like you said, because at the end of the day, we're all fans of this stuff. So to get to be around those things, get to be involved in those things, it's insane. So for you being a writer and doing all those things and talking about uh, writing for WWE magazine and all that stuff, how did you uh, kind of transition to where you were getting to work for a WWE like that? And what was that like, you know, for you? Because I mean, even just being the guy who's writing the magazines, writing in the magazines and things, dude, that's, I mean, that's dope to do. Like for me getting to do these interviews and, you know, like I'll never forget. Here's one. So I've talked about this on the show a couple times, and it's ironic be the timing of talking about this because we're going to be doing something with Big Swole, who right after I did this yeah. interview, uh, we had uh, we linked, and uh, we're going to do have her on the show soon to talk about uh, Crohn's being a wrestler and things like that and what she's got going on and all those things. But we were at StarCast 3 about five years ago now. Holy shit, that doesn't seem like five years ago. But, uh, you know, we were down there, and then – we had all the banners for our buddy's podcast, uh, breaking down the ring and all that. And I was there for him. DDP comes by and he looks up the signs and down the signs and up the signs and down the signs. So, uh, you guys are a podcast. So, uh, you going to interview me, bro? No, no prep, no nothing. You know what I mean? And then like, once it was done, it was like, you'd have thought we were friends for like 20 years. And like yeah, I said, I come effect on people. He's just a good dude, man. Yeah. And that's the thing. And like the the things like that with what you're saying, that's what makes this stuff cool. So like how did you get to the point from just being a fan of this stuff to, you know, writing to where you're getting to be involved and all that kind of stuff? Well, again, okay, so I've been a uh I've been getting paid to write since I've been 19 years old, which is 45 years ago. And um one of the things I knew about was professional wrestling. So in addition to all the other things I was writing about and still writing about, um, I, uh, you know, always kind of circled back to wrestling because it was something I really loved. And um, I was at the first WrestleMania and I was sitting next to Ed Rusciutti, who is still a friend and was the editor of the WWF magazine. And 
Ed was not, Ed was a very well-traveled uh, journalist. He had uh, covered elephant poaching in Kenya. He had, uh, not elephant, uh, I, poaching of elephant tusks in Kenya. He had spent time in Iran before the uh, Iranian revolution. And he was a boxer and a martial artist, but he was not a pro wrestling person. So he was learning the pro wrestling business on the job. And so he was at being a curious person. He was asking me a lot of questions. And back then there were not a lot of wrestling writers who were educated to the ways of the outside world. And I think he was impressed that I knew topics beyond pro wrestling or beyond even combat sports. And he asked me a question that changed my life. He said, how would you like to start working for us? And that's what happened. And I remember now at this point, I knew Vince McMahon, A, because I was a fan who'd been coming around, you know, for years. And, um, you know, and then I'd been writing about wrestling uh, for several years. And so he knew me. He'd seen me backstage at Madison Square Garden, but knew I was an outsider. And I remember Ed Rusciutti had me come to a TV taping. And um, Vince McMahon saw me like sitting backstage and his eyes kind of bugged. And Ed Rusciutti went racing over to him and said, Vince, he's working for us now. And then Vince was, you know, he was pacified. Um, but I remember standing there in the dressing room in Poughkeepsie, New York, and watching some guys go over a tag team match and watching them pantomime their moves and thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm back here. Like, how did this happen? And I remember like feeling if this is where my life ends, fine, because if this is the peak of my life, it's a good peak. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Can totally relate with that, dude. Because yeah. that's that's the thing. Like, it's crazy. Like, like I said, that's kind of how. Ironically, our whole show started. So the original four that were with us don't get to be on as much these days because of life. But you know, it's funny. Our whole show started from just watching pay per views at one of the local bars here in Michigan that used to show the pay per views and things. And I had Until happened they to received go... a cease and desist letter, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, well, they so they had they had done them for years. Like they they had, um, dude. I mean, they were doing them back to when I was in shit when I was in high school still, and they and so they had been doing them for a while. But we had all used to we would when we first started recording, we'd record them right there at the bar after uh after the pay per view stuff was over. And I had just happened to get back from WrestleMania 33 because I just decided that was the first one I went to out of state. I decided to, uh, I decided I was, was like, that in was, Orlando. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That was when the Hardys came back. Right. Um, yeah, I, man, I had been working midnights and I just was like, dude, I'm tired of not being able to go to anything because other people can't go or this guy can't go or that guy can't go. I went to everything by myself. First time I'd ever, you know, went solo to one of those one of the best trips i've ever had yeah. in my life so it's crazy how all that stuff works and now because of that it's like wrestlemania has now become this like 
since the show's been around about six years at this point. So it's like the one spot where everybody's all in one. Right. It, yes, it's a gathering of the tribe. Yeah. And it's fat. Look, you and I met at WrestleMania after WrestleMania. Yes, sir. You know, and um, you know, and I've made so many friendships and professional relationships, you know, have begun uh, WrestleMania week. And you know, I didn't get to ask Triple H this. I was considering asking him this at one of the press conferences, but didn't get a chance. Um, just this feeling of WrestleMania week being an event that brings together the entire wrestling community, including promotions outside of WWE, but how all these people from every corner of the world gathers it just converge on a city you know i write for inside inside the ropes magazine the british wrestling magazine and um i always note they have me do these travelogues like SummerSlam weekend wrestlemania week you know royal rumble week and i always experience the same thing when i'm going to one of these major pay-per-views i'm on the plane i'm looking around I'm like, oh, there's a guy I know who, you know, uh, does some camera work for GCW. Oh, there's a guy with a Bullet Club shirt. And it's not that many people. <laughs> and then I get into town. Like this time I went to L.A. I was staying with some friends. And, you know, I wasn't seeing a lot of wrestling people. The next morning at breakfast, these guys are at another table. And one guy sees my, t my, my uh, sweatshirt and makes a wrestling comment to me. From that point forward, that's Wednesday morning, I felt like I didn't meet a non-wrestling person. You know, that night, Sam Roberts, who sometime uh, backstage interviewer for WWE and uh, serious I love his podcast, too. personality, and a really good guy. I've just like, we've known each other. We didn't become friends until the Royal Rumble, like Royal Rumble weekend, where we finally started talking about something. And uh, he had a live podcast from the comedy store. And uh, Dolph Ziggler was up there. And uh, Baron Corbin told some great stories. And X-Pac told some great stories. And, you know, that was the, that was the first official wrestling event I attended that week. And... Then it was all wrestling from there. And I guess I just wrote an article for Inside the Ropes magazine. I said something to the effect of when I'd go into a bar or a restaurant, I would just ignore the civilians and make a beeline towards the wrestling people or they would make a beeline towards me. And there is something beautiful about that. I mean, last week I was on a Danish podcast based on this guy, Nikolai, who I met walking around outside the hotel at WrestleCon and getting into a conversation with him and his 11-year-old son. And then he's like, you want to be on my podcast in Denmark? And it just goes from there. It's it's crazy, dude. That's been a lot of like that's been a lot of the relationships with it. And that's what's so cool about pro wrestling. Like, I mean, that same weekend with DDP, you know, our guy Mega Ran, who at this point has had his music on uh clerks and the AEW uh Black History Month project and the new video game and all that stuff. 
you know, him and I met, I remember watching, we were at WrestleMania in New York, WrestleMania 35 week when it was uh, the was Ring New, of Honor. New Jersey. Well, yeah, I just mean that whole week because I was at Madison Square Garden for uh, the G1 Supercard. Yeah. And he so performed. Yeah, he performed there for that one. And then we linked up that same day um, in Chicago where I met DDP eating food at ODB's meat truck. And now at this point, I've been with him at like the last four or five WrestleManias. And then it's like, it's crazy because he's cool with uh, Woods and all those guys. And just the people you get to run into because of these chance meetings, like you said, because of that stuff. So I'm glad that we were able to link up at the hotel because now we've got even more to talk about. Well, since you talk about WrestleMania, I got to know, what are your thoughts on how everything played out? Are you happy with Cody not winning? Do you think they missed the moment there? What were your thoughts on it? Overall, I got to say, that crowd was pretty cool. I feel like as far as a two-night WrestleMania, I wasn't mad at all. I feel like a lot of people were mad at the finish, but I feel like his overall mania wasn't bad. Well, I'm, and I wrote about this in the in uh, the article. Well, I, I wrote about it not in the WrestleMania week uh article i wrote about it in the other column i write for inside the ropes magazine color commentary and um a friend of mine at the end of the second night of wrestlemania was like i'm pissed off i'm not watching wwe anymore and then because cody should have won and then he writes a few minutes later um but i will watch raw tomorrow night i guess <laughs> wwe uh, uh, accomplished their job because he certainly was not abandoning WWE. And, uh, you know, at the press conference after WrestleMania, uh, everyone made the point that this was part of a long-term story. As Roman Reigns put it, this isn't fast food. And let's see where they go with it. Now, you know, I, I have enjoyed, by and large, Triple H is the head of creative. I know that Vince McMahon uh, has an influence again. Will his influence ever be as significant as before? Will that alter the storylines? We'll see. I think you touched on something there, though. As as wrestling fans, this is a roller coaster of emotion, and it, and it can't always be a happy ending. Sometimes, right. sometimes we got to be disappointed. That's that's life, man. Yes, so. but, if, but if you're disappointed, you shouldn't be walking out. Uh, you know, uh, of the show or turning off, you know, whichever device you're using to watch uh, the, the, the pay-per-view or they, as they call it now, premium event. The PLEs, bro. And and say that sucked. That sucked. I feel flat. That's not a good reaction. That's not a good disappointment. It should be, you know, they left me wanting, they left me hungry and I need to feed that hunger I'm a little mad, but okay, I'll watch it again. And um, yeah, I mean, these people know how to tell long-term stories. I'm not a booker. So. Well, let me ask you this though, with that awful, what you just said though, see now with what we just saw on Friday, I mean, we talked about this on our Thursday show, dude, I thought that it was like, okay, Cody needs to go to SmackDown so that him and Roman can fight. That's what what I thought. It's okay. So then, right. And then in the first pick, you get Roman and, uh, and then Solo Cody. and Paul go, so and then Cody mean, goes. And now I'm completely in fan mode. I have not 
discuss this with one person involved in WWE. And honestly, if I called the handful of people I know there, uh, they would laugh in my face if I even want to discuss this. But it's like, does it mean that Cody wins the new WWE championship and now they're champions on separate brands? Or is it leading down the line to something dramatic? Does that happen? And then ultimately the two of them clash again. You know, does, do they have a match where the brands emerged? I really don't know. I think it makes it interesting. I keep hearing WrestleMania Philly, but I'm with you, dude. I thought, I thought that, you know, he needed to go to SmackDown. But then again, back to your previous point, you know, the way they did that with, uh, you know, them taking Paul and Solo and Roman, but they didn't take the And Usos. leaving the Usos behind. You and know, that's like interesting because yep, that's like this whole bloodline story, it doesn't end. It's so it has it's so multi-layered, unlike I believe any wrestling storyline I've ever seen. There's always another wrinkle to it, and you have more characters coming in. To enhance the story, even the introduction of Matt Riddle or the reintroduction of Matt Riddle could play to something. So, you know, is he just an extra body that you put with Owens and Zane, or is Matt Riddle going to become a multi-dimensional uh, character? We don't know yet. They're doing their job, though. They're keeping us intrigued. As fans, we're, we're talking about it. it. We're and writing it ourselves in our head. How can we get back to Cody versus Roman? You know, right. so many- I mean, this is what we're talking about. And honestly, if I wasn't talking to you guys right now, I'd be thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> By myself, you know, and, and which is always hard when I'm among non-wrestling people because it's like, I don't want to talk about anything else. This yeah. is what I want to yeah. talk about. This is therapy. This is Sunday therapy. We're just talking wrestling. It's like, will that be yeah, good? Go I was going to say, well, with that being said, I mean, like with you being such the historian and obviously everybody knowing uh, Dusty's lineage and stuff with the World Heavyweight Championship and stuff, what are your thoughts on the fact that now it almost seems destined that Cody's going to go after the WWE World Heavyweight Championship unless we see another shocker? on uh raw on monday but that's that's interesting i haven't developed a thought yet because i haven't seen anything play out this is not even step one it's Mm -hmm. like it's the embryo before the baby is even born now i do want to bring up a point because you asked me earlier about bruno and being a fan in that era and people believing and or i was talking about This is so different than a conversation you'd have in, let's say, the 1970s when no one would be talking about storylines. No, they'd go, oh, my God, the Usos interfered and they robbed Cody of the championship. People were very literal. Now, and I find it actually more pleasurable now, like some people idealize the old days. And yes, there was a beauty to so many fans believing because there was an emotional investment but it is awfully nice to be making friends with smart people who look at wrestling in a in an athletic sense and a theatrical sense who want to discuss 
nuance and subtleties and, you know, plot lines and compare this to other plot lines they've seen and, or, or to a movie. And, um, you know, that's some a, a place where I never expected to be, particularly in my 60s. Yeah, it's, it's like we always harp on it. It's a beautiful thing when you, you can tell stories in wrestling and it sticks. And then guys like us, we can go back and compare and it's it's drama and theater right they're writing things for us that's what when i hear people say like you said earlier this sucks i'm never watching this again this is boring it's not this is theater you're watching a movie right now invest you know what i mean so it's a, it's just and look you have every right if if a movie i've walked out of movies you know mm-hmm. i've walked out of the theater when i didn't like a movie I'm allowed to say I don't like a movie. If a storyline just falls flat, you're allowed to say that. You know, if there's a big buildup to a match and, and you know, you end up not being satisfied, it's your prerogative not to like it. And you can even discuss it. Um, but yes, you're right. It's theater. And this is the whole thing where people say, well, how can you, you know, invest so m- many of your emotions into wrestling and what wrestlers always say is, you know, do you cry when you see a movie? If you do, you're doing the same thing. It's the same thing. <laughs> it's the same thing. Still real to me, damn it. Uh, so speaking of those old times stuff, I definitely wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, the A&E biographies because I'm a nerd for documentaries. I love that kind of stuff. Even since I was a kid, I always liked to have all the uh, DVDs because I like to DVDs and VHSs. I used to love to hear all the stories and know all the backstories and all that stuff. So with you getting to be a part of all that stuff on A&E, what are your thoughts on the recent batch of uh, biographies that we have? Do you have a favorite one? And well, the, the ones I'm in, obviously. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, look, you know, I'm going to be completely transparent here. You know, we all can feel left out of things at times. And there have been times when I've seen productions about pro wrestling and I've said, hey, I know as much as this guy. Why is this guy in here and not me? And, um, you know, uh, I think it was SummerSlam where I ran into a guy he had been working for A&E and now he's officially working for WWE. And he saw, saw me like I was walking around on the floor, on the ground level, you know, the ringside level. Um, I was in the press box, but I just decided to take a stroll to kind of feel the intensity of the crowd. And he was like, oh, I'm glad I saw you. Now, I had been the year before. I had been in the, um, the WrestleMania one, WrestleMania one episode. I had been in the Piper episode. So they were already calling me to do stuff. And this guy was like, we really want to use you a lot more. And this has led to, um, this, this has led to being in more episodes. And it's kind of exciting. And you know, always before I, uh, I, I'm interviewed, I cram, I study. We, we, you and I, Kyle, were discussing this. You say you do it before you're calling a, an MMA fight. And because I don't want to get a fact wrong. 
And look, once in a while, when I do an article for, you know, uh, Inside the Ropes magazine, people can read that over and over again, and I'll get a message, usually a good-natured message, along the lines of, you're wrong about that year, or you said this person never appeared in a WrestleMania. Actually, he did appear in a WrestleMania. It's like, how did I forget that? Mm. And, um, but that's productive. But I don't want to go on TV and do that and have the entire Twitter, Twitterverse pouncing, which, <laughs> you know, they're sometimes very happy to do anyway because I'm at certain things and they're not. But, and wrestling um, fans and MMA fans are like the two most toxic yeah. fan bases in the world. Like, I'm just going to say that. But, <laughs> but um, you know, I, uh, I take it seriously. I sometimes go to the thrift store and buy a couple of uh, blazers beforehand. So I, I bought can... a blazer the fucking Thursday before that fight, damn it. <laughs> I went to the mall and hit Macy's and shout out to Macy's because they wanted $300 for the same damn one at the men's warehouse and I got the same <laughs> brand and they had more colors for 130 bucks. I felt Yeah, that's a good deal. That day. A great deal. <laughs> so, so I'll do that. I you know, I'll think about what I'm going to wear. Um, you know, I'll think about what I'm going to say. I'll keep no, I'll keep a file full of notes next to me. And, um, you know, if they're going to call me a WWE historian, I'm going to behave like a WWE historian and not spitball it. Um, but it is it, the first time I saw my name listed as WWE historian. You know, I'm used to um, being called wrestling writer, author. But when I was listed as WWE historian, my daughter, who's now 19, is like, what? And then once in a while, we'll have a conflict about something. And I'll say, wait a second. Do you know who you're speaking to like that? I am <laughs> WWE historian Keith Elliott Greenberg, <laughs> which usually diffuses the whole situation. That's awesome. Well, well dude, speaking about those... Um, I had a couple questions with those, dude. I think my favorite ones of this new uh, batch that we've seen, I really like the Dusty Rhodes one. Yeah, um, the Dusty Rhodes was really nice. There was a lot of things in there. I mean, I knew most of it. Like I said, I love documentaries and stuff, so I've seen a lot of stuff on him before. But they definitely talked on some things that I didn't, maybe I knew but didn't know as in depth. Um, what were your thoughts on the Dusty one? And I mean, look, I love the Dusty one. Um, obviously... Look, there's in every one of these, there's so much that you can't get in there. You know, I was in the Flair documentary. I co-wrote Flair's book. You know, there's so much about Ric Flair. I mean, it would be a mini series, not a, a documentary. Right. If you were going to tell Ric Flair's story. And the same with the Iron Sheik. I was in the recent Iron Sheik. Was it WWE Legends? Uh, biography. And there were so many stories I knew about the Iron Sheik. Um, and in the course, I, I, oh, I also wrote a book with the Iron Sheik, which never was published. And I was told that, um, and the first version, he was still a drug addict. Second version that I wrote, because I did two versions of the same book, um, now he had kicked drugs, so that was in there. Um, and then 
somebody very high up at WWE. I was never told who, but I was told it was definitely, definitely not Vince said, how does this help our brand? And, you know, there were a lot of drug stories. There were a lot of stories about really bad behavior. The Iron Sheik's daughter had died, and maybe people felt that um, that was a bit of a bummer, that story. But the feeling was it's not benefit at that time. It's not benefiting our brand. But I got, I got to be very close with the Iron Sheik and his family. Now, I had known the Iron Sheik since 83, and we always liked each other. And I'm very proud to say that after he won the title from Bob Backlund, myself and my very good friend, Japanese photographer Cage Nakayama, were the only two media members invited to his room. And we sat there and chatted with him and his wife while he had his belt out. So that was a bonding experience. And, um, you know, I got to know him intimately and I got to observe him while he was going through some very painful times. And I got to observe his family while they were struggling to still love him while he, when he had disappointed them so many times. And they were all traumatized by the death of his daughter. Um, so there was so much that could have been added to that, but you can't add everything. Now with Dusty Rhodes, you could have dwelled on some of the mistakes he made as a booker. Uh, you could have dwelled on the dusty finish and how it was overused. Uh, there was a period where he was accused of being detached from the fans and the um, and, and to a degree that the talent. Um, instead, and maybe we didn't need to know that because everyone has parts of their lives that don't necessarily define them. They define a period of their lives. And Dusty did end up playing the role that Shawn Michaels largely plays now, which is the uh, performance center sage, uh, the one who is like a uncle, a grandfather to the emerging talent and guides them along essentially with the underlying message don't make the mistakes I did. And, um, you know, that is how Dusty's life ended, playing that role. And that's great. I mean, I think that that was in there. And really, maybe that is how Dusty should be remembered. You know, when I wrote the book with Ric Flair back in 2004, he said, in this book, you are going to read a lot about Dusty, both good and both bad. But I will tell you, the good far outweighs the bad. I mean, and that was the sense I really got out of that too. Like when you heard uh, Dustin speak about it and, you know, his relationship with his dad and those things and like them bringing up, you know, when he came back to WWE, how they were really kind of down and out, you know, and how him coming back to WWE and coming to NXT and all those things, how, how much of a help that stuff was. I agree with you. I think on some of those things, there's definitely things that don't need to be harped on as much because at this point most people have all moved through it and i mean with the guy being gone at this point i mean like you said it's better to remember somebody by uh the good things they're doing especially somebody like him who from all accounts i've ever heard the positives that he brought to wrestling yeah. far outweigh anything that you could yeah, really ever mean, you know stuff, say negative he was when he was booking and performing in the in the 
uh, Carolinas, in Florida. Uh, the WWF was so conservative by comparison. And when I would happen to catch any of that other wrestling, that was no holds barred. Like I remember him having a brawl in the studio with Kevin Sullivan, who was doing a satanic gimmick, which is, I mean, it would be unthinkable to imagine Vince McMahon Sr. Uh, signing off on <laughs> something like that. And he threw a noose over the rafters and, you know, seemed oh to be on the verge of hanging Kevin Sullivan. And you could say, well, that's crude entertainment. It was pretty exciting. And I was an adult at that stage. <laughs> <laughs> Shows the things you can't get away with in 2023. I mean, the thing that I think back to from my early childhood that I remember that is when they put uh, Austin up on the uh, Undertaker symbol. I was like, yo, this is crazy. Or what happened with Sandman and Raven, dude? Right, but Sandman and Raven, this was the problem. They did it on a literal cross. Now, the Undertaker, which was no doubt inspired by that, they were wise enough to put him to do a crucifixion where there's not a cross there. So, you know, you weren't going to... People would think it uh, it was reminiscent of a crucifixion. But it was not a literal crucifixion. That was wild. And then you got to think, you know, you had Kurt Angle in the building for that one. And then, and he was offended by it. Imagine what could have been with Kurt Angle being an ECW. Jesus God. (laughs) But look, you know, know, ECW begot the Attitude Era. And, um, you know, Steve Austin, that, that short period where he was cutting promos. In ECW, I believe Steve Amania gave him, yeah, but I think it instilled a confidence in him. It definitely did. That he never had before, you never saw before. And I think when he came to WWE, and I've never discussed this with him, I've never heard it discussed, but when he came to WWE as the ringmaster, he knew what he could do just from that brief period. He was in uh, ECW. And so, you know, what could have been, you know, Kurt Angle was there backstage. He soaked in that ECW energy. Some of it rubbed off on him. I could definitely see that. You know, something else you brought up from them documentaries and something that really stuck out to me in the Iron Sheik one was, uh, and I've, I've always been a big fan of his and the stuff I've seen. You talk about real heat and how hot he was you know uh that's one thing i want to talk about is the heat but the first thing i thought of you know there was a lot talked about with the incident with him and uh hacksaw jim duggan um had that not happened how do you think the sheik would have fared in wwf at that point because him and hacksaw both were about as hot as can be i mean hacksaw was on the ascendancy he had the proverbial rocket strapped to his back at that point and realized he had just he had just joined WWE. So there were big plans for him. Um, so it certainly killed that momentum. You know, the Iron Sheik had been around for a couple of years at that stage. So maybe he had a break and people were not, you know, they were exhausted from booing him for all those years. I think that it didn't hurt the Sheik as much as it hurt Duggan, other than the fact that 
you know, they both needed the income and that income was pried away from them. Um, but that was such a fascinating incident. And I'm glad it was brought out in the documentary because that was still, that was almost the border between believers and people embracing pro wrestling as sports entertainment. And the arrest of those two guys when they were supposed to be mortal enemies, uh, I, you know, that just drove it home for everyone. Like you couldn't ignore that this was showmanship now. And two years later was in 1989 was when Linda McMahon admitted to the New Jersey State Athletic Commission that pro wrestling was, it was the New Jersey State Legislature when she wanted to get the um, Athletic Commission deregulated. She admitted that it was entertainment and it was not competitive sports. Now, would that have occurred regardless? Very likely, but um, you know, it certainly hastened it. You know, and that's that's the craziest thing for the longest time. You know, you always heard, you know, especially with uh, the old school wrestlers, man, you hear it over and over again. Just you never use the word fake. I still never use, I don't the, use word. the word fake. No, never, but back in the day, that's immediately what you would hear is once you hear, you know, it's not competitive sport. And it's just crazy. But it's to not see. fake. I agree it's, 100%. It's no, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that's the go to when right. you hear. When that you hear you people talk about up. it, that damn right, and you should, because <laughs> how many times have you heard me tell people when we're on this show, J Bone, where it's like we'll be out at these shows and just the shit that goes on? I mean, dude, you know we're not letting anything out of the bag. You know, stay tuned, SummerSlam weekend. You know, we might be uh, doing some things with some things that are coming to the city. But I mean, let me tell you, standing there and seeing, you know, you talk about indie wrestling, you know, I was over there kicking it with our homies from circle six, you know, the stuff we saw from Hoodfoot and all of those guys, there is no fake dude. Like these dudes are getting beat up. Even if you want to talk about just WWE, you, you cannot do what these guys and girls do and not take a beating. I can't do any of that stuff. I never could. (laughs) You know, at my physical peak, I never could bump like that. Yeah, I remember when I was writing the the book with Ric Flair, we would be in the car. And this is before people had, they had cell phones, but they weren't able to text. We we weren't texting yet in the United States. And um, Flair, so Flair had like a little notepad he'd keep in his pocket. So if someone called him, he'd scribble down, a phone number, a reminder, and someone would call him and he would be driving and he would be eating and he would be taking notes and he would stay in the lane and he would steer the wheel with his elbow. And I remember thinking, this guy is a once in a generation athlete to just be able to do this. You're not kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Keith, I... We've kept you for quite a while, man. I appreciate uh, the time and all those good things. You know, one of the last ones that I wanted to talk to you about as far as rivalries and things like that. As I mentioned earlier in the show, I am a self-professed Stone Cold nut. So I just watched the two recent episodes of the WWE Rival stuff, which you've done stuff with that too. Out of those two feuds that we just had play out, Stone Cold versus Bret Hart, and Stone Cold versus Shawn Michaels. Which one do you like better? Or did you oh, have that is such a hard one? Because 
you know, if it wasn't for that WrestleMania match with Bret Hart, when uh, a bloody Stone Cold refused to submit while he was in the sharpshooter, would we have had that definable of a baby face? Maybe not. That was such a pivotal moment leading to the Attitude Era. And that beautiful angle of Brett being a baby face in Canada and a heel in the United States, when Brett just ripped into the United States for its lack of health care and its racism and its gun violence, which was a complete shoot. And I know Bret Hart feels that stuff when that's why he was cheered in Canada. That was, again, unlike many things you saw in wrestling. In fact, at that point, pro wrestling was rather conservative. So if wrestlers were going to espouse anything politically, they were probably going to try to get a pop by shouting out that USA, USA, there's nothing as great as America. And so on that alone, despite the wonderful feud with Shawn Michaels and how Shawn's loss at WrestleMania, was it, uh, was it WrestleMania? It wasn't 18. It, no, it would have been 1998. Uh, uh, 14. 14. How that was the anointing of Stone Cold Steve Austin. I still have to give it to the Bret Hart feud because of the two things I mentioned. Yeah, I kind of think that's the more like meaningful feud for him. I think the Shawn Michaels feud was kind of like the cherry on top for him, I feel like. Yeah, and like look, I feel like great. the Bret Hart. I'm not diminishing it. Like when no, for they sure. were tag team champs and they couldn't stop fighting with each other. It was spectacular. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that King of the Ring where they're fighting each other as champs, that's yeah, yeah. Bro, that's great. That's, that's the stuff that makes you love watching wrestling. Well, you know, you talk about these travel vlogs that you're doing, man. You know, SummerSlam is here in Detroit. So if you yeah, get into I'll the city, there. you'll have to uh you'll have to I, share I actually some love line, Detroit. Bro. So um, you know, I would probably go as a fan. Fortunately, someone actually pays me for it. <laughs> well, know, that's a beauty. Getting, that's a beautiful getting, thing, though. Getting paid is always good. And speaking of getting paid, shout out to our other sponsors, G3 Payroll and Tax. If you guys haven't spent out your taxes yet, I don't know why you haven't. But since I work at the post office, I know all of y'all haven't done so. So make sure you check out that link in the bio and uh, give G3 Payroll a line because they can also help you out with all the accounting and all that good stuff, too. But with that being said, man, like I said, I go ahead, J-Bone. You got something? I just got one question. I love to ask this question to people who have been fans of wrestling forever. As a historian, I'm going to give you a scenario. You got a new guy that says, hey, I want to start watching professional wrestling. Where do you place him in the timeline of the golden era to the attitude era to even the COVID era to now? Where do you place him to start watching professional wrestling? I mean... You know, there's a difference between great mat work and great storytelling and psychology. Like maybe when it comes to, well, okay, let's let's not even go deep into history. I was going to say like Pat O'Connor and Buddy Rogers, but let's let's go to the people we, we've discussed tonight. You know, I remember a Saturday night's main event between Randy Savage and uh, Bret Hart. That was like when Bret Hart was still a tag team wrestler. Um, the WrestleMania three match between uh, Steamboat and Randy Savage.
Um, Classic. You know, some of the stuff we've seen recently. Uh, let's go to AEW now. Let's talk about that great match between Brian Danielson and Kenny Omega that I was happy to uh, to watch. Li- I was fortunate enough to watch live in New York. Um, rather than, I know it would be easy to go to an era. I think it would be better to uh, give someone a combination. But if you want an era, um, wow, what a good question. Uh, because... You know, WrestleMania was exciting, but in terms of, I mean, some of those NXT takeovers. Oh, my God, you know, dude. You are not You know kidding. what? That's what I might send people to. Like, watch a string of those NXT takeovers from a few years back. Oh, my God. I'm so glad to hear you say that. And I'm surprised that that's what you'd say because I could agree with you so much because, man, those takeovers from the time they started doing them till where we're at now, they're not – quite what they were when they were the takeovers yeah. but man them fucking takeovers didn't miss yeah. like even oh, they when they were miss. even when they were in the black and gold when it was just like at the performance center when they were in the small i remember right. when kevin owens uh when kevin owens debuted and beat the shit out of Sami Zayn, mm-hmm. and now mm-hmm. here we are with them being the tag champs or right. being at the takeover for wrestlemania 33 being at the takeover in chicago when gargano right. and champa beat the shit out of each yeah. other when Walter won uh, the NXT UK title off of uh, of Pete Dunne in Brooklyn, oh, no, he he won it off of. Pete oh, wait, 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 it wasn't Tyler Bass. No, I said Walter. I said Walter. Walter, no, Walter yeah, beat who? Walter beat Pete Dunne to get it. Oh, Pete Dunne, that's right, yeah. that's right. Yeah, he hit him with that. And by splash. the way, that was the first time I'd ever seen him fly off the top rope like that. I'm like, <laughs> oh shit! All right. <laughs> and I, I should bring up this match since we mentioned Walter and now Gunther. Um, I, I wrote a book about wrestling during the COVID era. The one oh, thing the I omitted omitted from that, I think the best empty arena match of the COVID era was Walter versus Dragunov in the mm. empty arena at NXT UK. And so if someone's starting out, that's how you tell a story because there weren't even fans there to titillate. Yeah beautiful i love it dude this can't be the last time that we do this so even though we're gonna turn off the button we'll definitely have to uh do this again and like i said when you get in detroit you definitely gotta come see us like i said we'll be uh we'll be we'll be connected with quite a few things so if you guys are new here make sure you hit that subscribe button whether it's on apple podcast youtube facebook all those good things hit the buttons and uh yeah you never know uh who you'll see flying through here so, Keith, if you got anything else you want to uh, promote or let people know where to find you or any of that kind of stuff. Um, you can find me on all social media. Um, well, not not t- I'm not on TikTok yet, but I am on um, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Although my Facebook friends list is almost at the cutoff point. Um, you can find me there. And, you know, I've written a bunch of books. You type in Keith Elliott Greenberg and see what you want to order. And, um, you know, if you haven't seen it, even though it takes a few weeks for the issues to arrive over from the UK, uh, Inside the Ropes magazine, the UK, it's a really well-written magazine. And I'm not, I, I just don't just write for them. There's Finlay Martin, who is wrestling magazine writers go. He's the Keith Elliott Greenberg of the UK. And my good friend, Brian Solomon, who wrote that fantastic book about the original Sheik 
for all you Detroit people. He's a regular for them. So uh, I'd say check it out. You heard the man. Check it out. Until this Tuesday, which when you guys check this, this will be dropping on a Monday. You can check us out live with Abe the Killer, Al Seguir, fresh off of his pro debut win. And we'll have Chase the Militia Keebler joining us. Detroit Jiu-Jitsu will be in strong representation come this Tuesday, 9 p.m. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Until the meantime and in between time, peace.